Hey, tennis fans, you are listening to Matchpoint Canada, the official podcast of Tennis Canada. We are also members of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm Ben Lewis, joined alongside Mike McIntyre as uh, we continue through the fall stretch of the tennis season. Great guest today, Mike. I had the chance to speak with young Canadian Marina Skusic, who recently was named ITF Player of the Month in September, also named to the Billie Jean King Cup Finals roster. It was a great time to get her on the podcast. And and to our listeners, I just want to apologize quickly for my struggling voice today. It's back into hockey coaching season for me and my kids. And as you can tell, it's taken a toll, but super excited for the interview and to share that with our listeners. And great to have another young Canadian talent on the podcast. And it goes without saying, since we're the official podcast of Tennis Canada, that over the years, we've had some fantastic young up-and-coming players on the pod who have, in many cases you know, developed and turned into legitimate threats on the WTA and ATP Tour. And maybe Stikucic turns into one of those players. But for the time being, she's certainly accomplished some great things. And and I think taking a gigantic step forward, both in terms of her ranking and her confidence, as she mentioned in speaking with you. Yeah, absolutely. And as you say that, it makes me almost reminisce from the time that we spoke with Leila Fernandez, fresh off her junior French Open win, when I think she was, maybe she was still 16 years old at that point, which is is unbelievable to think about (laughs) Uh, that, you know, we have had chances over the years to speak with her. We've obviously spoken with uh, Bianca Andreescu before she had won Indian Wells, before she had broken through on the main stage. So, so speaking with this young, these young junior athletes as they develop, and now for Stukusic, um, you know, breaking inside the top 300 with those two results. Uh, I'll let you guys hear the interview. Uh, here's my conversation with Canadian Marina Stukusic. You are listening to Matchpoint Canada, the official podcast of Tennis Canada. Happy to be joined by Canadian tennis player Marina Stukusic, who's enjoying an awesome summer and as we chat right now you're actually just in Saguenay Quebec uh getting ready for more tennis uh firstly just how how are you how's the summer and into fall been uh, I'm good it's been a really good fall for me and summer um I had a great month of September obviously winning my first two singles pro titles so I'm really happy with that and hopefully I can keep going continue yeah, I, I mean, I think that's a great place uh, to start. You were named ITF Player of the Month in September, which is a great honor uh, getting two victories. Maybe let's start in in Spain with that title. Um, d- describe that week, maybe the tennis you played, and, and then we'll talk about Berkeley as well. Yeah, sure. Uh, in Spain, I I had a great week there. I was playing. I felt like I was hitting the ball really well. I was coming into the tournament pretty confident. and. Um, I just, I was trying to play loose, relax, not trying to focus too much on the result and kind of, I was trying to focus more on what I've been doing in practice. And I think that really helped me a lot. And I was able to just, uh, do everything that I've been doing and in, in the practices and it really helped me, uh, get the win there. So that, that, that's great. And then, uh, following it up, uh, going back to the United States, you win a, a 60 K in, in Berkeley, I, I guess maybe talk about just your, your confidence on the tennis court right now. Yeah. I mean, obviously I'm more confident now. I, I guess the yeah. more matches you win, the more confident you are. It's just how it goes. Um, but yeah, I tried to just take all that good energy from Spain and, and bring it to me, bring it with me back to, to the U S and, um, 
I felt like I was playing really well again. And I was just trying to, same thing, like focus on everything I've been doing in practice, all the specific things I've been working on. And, and yeah, it helped me there a lot. So I'm going to try and continue to do that as I go. And which, which coach are you working with now? Um, I'm with Elena Bovina mm-hmm. and also Sylvain Bruno. So I've been working with them too for uh, like the past year or so. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, just in terms of your tennis background, uh, like when did you start to play and when did it become something that was a little more serious for you? Um, I started when I was like about five or six uh, because my brother played. So I kind of just wanted to do the same thing as him. And honestly, since the beginning, I've been wanting to play professional. I've been wanting to win Grand Slams, become number one. That's been my goal always. So I'd say like from a really young age, it was something that for me was like really like right away. It's I knew that's what I wanted to do. Um, And then probably like when I was about 13 14 that's when I started to travel a bit more and and yeah so for me it was always a a serious thing I always wanted to do it so and uh, I I know you were you were born in Mississauga are you still staying back there and what was maybe your your home club growing up if you're around that area uh my home club growing up I mean when I was about like I actually started in Eglinton Flats okay yeah yeah, in Eglinton mm-hmm. Flats, I started there, and then I kind of moved around to like other clubs, and then I went to to Tennis Canada at Aviva or Sobeys now. Mm-hmm. So I went there for a few years, and then I kind of like transitioned into Montreal. Last year, I, I think it was in qualifying in in Toronto. I had an opportunity to watch you were playing Bianca Jolie Fernandez, obviously another uh, young Canadian of ours. And I was sort of struck by the differences in your style of play, in that I felt you were like a very calm, cool, collected demeanor. H- have you always had that? Has that just been your nature on court? Is are um, you feeling all the intensity inside, or how are you able to keep so calm? Uh, well, actually, I wouldn't say that I've always been calm. I think I like improved on that a lot in probably the past like two years. Okay. Uh, but in general, I am a pretty calm person. Um, but yeah, when I play matches, it kind of is like inside of me. But I try and just like not show my opponents that I'm stressed out or getting angry for some things because obviously that's not going to help me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you. Uh, if you get that big win, do, do you let it out a little bit? Uh, I could work on that. I feel like <laughs> a little bit more. <laughs> okay. That's funny. Um, I, I mean, it's all, it's all about what, what works for you. Right. And I think, uh, that that's really cool because we see, I, I mean, even in, in the game today, uh, compare Arena Sabalenka and Elena Rybakina, two Grand Slam champions who are completely different in their demeanor on court. Uh, so that that's cool that you have that with you. Uh, with your ranking now, I mean, you're inside the top 300, which is obviously fantastic. What are maybe some of your short-term goals as you wrap up 2023 and eventually uh, turn the calendar to next season? Uh, well, for sure, my my number one short-term goal is to make it to Australian Open qualities so I have a few more tournaments this year I have uh Sagne Toronto and then most likely one in Portugal in November so 
I will play these three and hopefully I can gather enough points to be able to play the qualities of Australia. So, okay. Are, are you someone who likes to, are, are you someone who's really an invested in that ranking number and, and does that sort of help drive you when you see that number improve? Um, for me during tournaments, I actually am the opposite. I don't like looking at my ranking at all. I don't like calculating points. I don't like <laughs> checking where I'm going to be if I win, if I lose or anything, because I think it kind of like it either puts a little bit of pressure on me or like distracts me in a way. So I try and like just not look at it at all during tournaments. And then like after the tournament, I'll go and check to see where I am. Okay. But uh, during tournaments, I don't like to look at it at all. No, that's that's a good strategy. Uh, we talked about the, the short-term goal, which is Australian Open qualifying. If you're looking bigger picture, um, you know, two, three years down down the line, are there th certain things you, you hope to achieve? And are these some of the conversations maybe you do have with your, your coaches? Yeah, I do a little bit. Um, but also we're taking it kind of like just like day by day, week by week. But definitely I want to get into the top 100 for sure, possibly by next year. And then in the next few years, like win some WTA tournaments, hopefully Grand Slams. Those are those have always been my goals. And yeah. As we have this conversation um, today, Layla Fernandez won her first title, actually, uh, of the year winning in Hong Kong. Uh, we had Gabby Dabrowski and Aaron Routliff win a doubles title. Gabriel Diallo on the men's side win a challenger. Actually, three titles in, in one day. Um, I know probably maybe these aren't Canadians you're you're in touch with necessarily, uh, but does that become a motivational factor? Is that is that special to see uh, others you know, from your home country getting such big results? Yeah, it definitely is. I mean, it's always inspiring to see people from your country doing well. And it definitely motivates me to do well as well. Um, and yeah, I think that it's it's nice to see other Canadians. I know some of them actually, and they're all like really nice. So it's nice to see them doing well. I'm happy for them. And uh, yeah, it's it's really good. A lot of these Canadians, and I, I imagine we'll see you at the, the Tevlin Challenger in Toronto, but uh, a lot of you girls are are going to the same events. Um, do, do you have any of them you're, you're close friends with who you have maybe tennis conversations off the court with frequently? Uh, yeah, I'm I'm pretty close with all the girls that are uh, uh, my age or younger, like Victoria Moko, Cadence, Brace, Kayla Cross. Like I'm, I'm good friends with them. We're always either like rooming together, training together, uh, and then we play each other in tournaments, but we're like all good after there's nice. So yeah, I, I have a few friends that I'm always like in contact with and stuff. That's, that's awesome. Uh, we should talk about Billie Jean King cup, uh, get, getting that call and getting that, that opportunity. I mean, that's coming in November. We're going to have Layla there, Rebecca Marino there. Gabby, who I just mentioned, Jeannie Bouchard is even returning, and um, you got the call to to join the team for the first time. Uh, were you taken by surprise? What was that like? Um, I I was taken by surprise, uh, obviously, like, but I was so happy. Like, this is something that I've been wanting to be a part of for like since I started playing tennis, basically. So it's like really, really exciting. Um, and yeah, I was taken by surprise a little bit. Uh, just because of how like this year started with my injury I didn't play from uh, January until July and I did not expect to be playing Billie Jean King Cup this year at all <laughs> so
so I was just really happy and excited to when I got that call. It was it was really special, and I'm really looking forward to it. No, that that's awesome. H have you met all of uh, all of those fellow players? Have you? I I imagine you've met Layla, but I don't know if you've met Jeannie or, or Rebecca. Yeah, I have actually. I've met all of them. I've practiced with uh, Rebecca and and Jeannie like a few times. So, and for like, they're all super nice, and I'm like, I'm really excited to be on a team with them. They're they're a great group of girls, and I'm really looking forward to it. Was was it Heidi who who called you personally to tell you you've been on the team? Yeah, yeah, she called me. Nice. What well, what was that phone call like? Uh. I mean, I was. It was right after I won in Berkeley, and <laughs> and she just called me and said like, "Hey, Marina, like, I obviously like you're doing really well. You know, we've we've been following your results, and we really think that you deserve a spot on the team." And I was like, "Oh my gosh!" <laughs> and Heidi was like, "Don't say oh my god, like you deserve it." I was like, "Okay, sorry." <laughs> I Uh, I know I deserve it, but yeah, it was it was really funny and it was like kind of unexpected. So, no, that's that's awesome to hear. Um, we'll wrap with a, a fun little game I like to call rapid fire questions to to maybe get to know you a little bit better. No pressure, uh, okay. but we'll put you on the spot. Uh, I guess first question: Would you describe yourself as a uh, morning or night person? Morning. Okay. And that, that first drink in the morning, coffee, tea, something else. Tea. Okay. Uh, if there's any animal in the world you could be, what would it be? Uh, some sort of bird so I could fly. <laughs> okay. Yeah. That's a good answer. Uh, favorite, favorite shot to hit on the tennis court. Backhand down the line. Thank you for being specific. Um, favorite, <laughs> favorite women's player, and then favorite men's player. Favorite women's player. Um, I like watching Ribakina, and then men's player Djokovic. Okay, uh, Serbian connection, right? Yes. Yes. Exactly. Well, I'm I'm and I'm glad I mentioned uh, Rybakina earlier because I compared your your demeanor with yeah. hers. So that's that's good to tie in. Uh, if there's one place in the world you could visit, uh, where would that be? Uh, Bora Bora. <laughs> nice. And one tournament you could win, what would it be? NBO National Bank Open. That's a very good. That's a very good Tennis Canada answer. I appreciate that one, <laughs> um, Marina. Thanks so much uh, for taking some time to chat. Uh, good luck with the rest of your fall. I imagine we'll see you actually at the Tevlin Challenger in Toronto, and also big big congrats on on getting that call to to join the Billie Jean King Cup team. Thank you. Thanks for having me. There you have it, my chat with Marina Stakushic, who uh, did fall in Saguenay, I believe, in the round of 16, and one of a number of Canadians in action this week in Toronto at the Teflon Challenger. She's super nice, eh? Like, she just, is. Like, just as a starting point, she just seems super nice. And I bumped into her before, you know, here in Toronto and gotten that vibe as well. I mean, we get that vibe from most of the Canadian tennis players, to be perfectly honest. Um and, you know, that's a typically stereotypically Canadian, I guess, sort of vibe that we give off. But I think it's also well-deserved and, and earned in many cases. Um, 
you know, one of the things from the interview that I liked was towards the end when you were talking about checking her ranking and how she admitted that she doesn't like really looking and getting into that. And I was kind of curious because you're the tennis player between the two of us or the more real tennis player, uh, accomplished tennis player between the two of us. Do you like checking your ranking, you know, at the level you play at? Is that something that you keep a close eye on? You know what? Um, I'm glad you asked that question because I, I completely agree with her. And in, as someone who plays, you know, 5.0s or open tournaments uh, around the Ontario Tw- Tennis Association, when I first kind of started and really got back into a 2019-2020, I did get, I don't I don't want to say completely obsessed, but I was like, oh, like I want to be in the top 20 or like I want to be in the top 10 of the 5.0. And if you have that approach, it can stress you out in a match thinking like I really should beat this person. And I, I do think it, it can, uh, you know, play a negative role in your tennis. So after those first couple of years, I did take a step back. You stop thinking about the ranking. And sure enough, actually currently now this is the highest ranking i've ever had on the open circuit and i never really i didn't really think about the ranking at all through this summer for the open circuit and better things seem to happen the other number that i would say a lot of juniors stress about right now uh is the utr ranking and uh you know some people know what this is the universal tennis rating especially now with a lot of colleges you want to get into a d1 school you want to play at a high level those schools check the the utr rating where where you're sitting if you're you know a 10 a, an 11 a 9 whatever it may be and i think that that element can stress kids out and i've heard from juniors being stressed out about their utr and it can make them play nervous in matches so when you are it's almost when you're putting those elements aside just focusing on your tennis focus on playing playing well playing free and playing loose you check the number after and it's probably going to be what you want I'm glad you mentioned the legitimacy of the UTR ranking because that definitely seems like something that's a more substantial um, item that players look at these For days. For sure, yep. And uh, I mean, I don't have one, so it's cool. I don't have to stress about it. If you don't have one, you don't have to stress about it. But <laughs> That's right. You know, but I, I, you know, just a parallel is, uh, you know, my fantasy hockey pool, I check that way more than I should where my ranking is there. Yeah. Uh, my Tennis Canada bracket challenge, I have stopped checking because it's, you know, just terrible this year, to be honest with you. But I think I missed a couple of deadlines too, so that didn't help. And uh, our podcast numbers, I, is, I used to look at that a lot more and I don't anymore. I just figure, you know, if you build it, they will come sort of thing. Uh, and, uh, That's good attitude. And, and, and I feel like, you know what, it's, um, yeah, we're, we're making improvements every year. I hope our listeners would agree with me on on that one. Yeah, that's that's well said. Uh, well, one thing I also enjoyed about the conversation was uh, getting into the the demeanor and her mentality on on the tennis court that she is very calm and and relaxed and i found it really interesting that she cited elena ribakina as one of her favorite players because uh, i mean that's that's who ribakina is on the court and just another reminder to me that there are so many different approaches in mentality that you can bring on the tennis court and you just have to find what's successful for you and i think that's a a serious strength of hers that she never gets too high and never gets too low and I and I think that that's going to you know serve her well in her first Billie Jean King Cup experience, you know playing obviously a backup role we would expect uh, on the depth chart behind Layla, behind Rebecca. I mean I think Jeannie would probably get called to play a singles match before her as yeah, well likely. because of experience. Um, but nonetheless, to be around those players and learn from them is going to be a fantastic opportunity. And you know as we said with our guest. Um, last week, John Wertheim, I mean, the Canadian team not to be taken lightly. So I think that they definitely are going to have a solid shot of advancing from their opening round pool against, um, was it Spain and, and Poland? And Poland. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Spain and Poland. 
Yeah, no, definitely. Uh, I, I certainly like their chances in that group. If we look ahead to action that's already underway this week, Tevlin Challenger in Toronto from Sobe Stadium, Marina Skucic is there. You know, she just lost last week to her friend Vicky Maboko in Saguenay, Quebec. Maboko's there. Kayla Cross is there. Catherine Sebov winning the title in Saguenay, Quebec. I mean, to me, she's the strongest player in this field, and her ranking reflects that. Her season reflects that, you know, qualifying for the Australian Open, winning WTA matches, being inside the top 150 of the rankings. I think uh, if you look at Sebov, at least for me, she's at this point and stage of her career where if she's sort of confidently winning these titles like she did in Saginaw this past week, the next leap for 2024 is just a purely complete WTA schedule. Yeah, she seems like she's carved a niche at this level. And so it's only natural to expect that that next step is going to take place at some point. We'd love to see it. Um, so definitely high hopes for her this week. Um, you know, we love the Tevlin Challenger and it's it's like this hidden gem of a tournament here in Toronto. And yeah, I first attended in 2017, which is pretty recent. It's been going since 2005. The Tevlins are fantastic people. I actually coached their son in high school tennis years ago. Um, so I enjoy reconnecting with them every year. But uh, I, I wish I had known about it before 2017 because I, I certainly would have been attending. If you look at the list of previous champions, you've got some legit names in there like Sabine Lisicki, who uh, went did she make finals at Wimbledon one year or was it semi? She went deep at Wimbledon years ago. Uh, she made the final. Camila Georgi right? um, was a champ at Tevlin. Jeannie Bouchard in 2012, which was sort of foreshadowing the success she would have two years later at the WTA level. And even Gabby Dabrowski won the singles title at the Tevlin in 2014 when she was still giving her singles game a, a bit more of a, a you know concerted effort. So uh, you're going to see some players that are going to turn into something for sure. Uh, you're going to see a lot of Canadians, which is great to showcase their their things at a 60K tournament. For many of them, this is a big opportunity in terms of some ranking points and some cash as well. And uh, names that we're very familiar with, Kayla Cross, Vicky Mavoko, uh, Stakushik as well, who you just spoke with. Um, Kennedy Schaefer, our, our friend from the U.S. that we've had mm -hmm. on the podcast before. Uh, she went down in qualifying today, but big first step forward for her coming back from some injuries. So um and some great veteran players too that we've seen over the years including recent guests uh, that we saw there years ago uh alexander stevenson so you never know who's going to sort of pop up singles doubles it's all right up close i mean what do you love best about this, this event ben yeah i think the you know much like the national bank open has unprecedented access this this even more so uh in the sense of being just there courtside at, at the indoor courts and and watching some names that maybe you're not familiar with and realizing it's very high level tennis and it's generally a lighter crowd it's not going to be packed but you can just you know take a seat relax and, and take in some great tennis uh, it's it's a low stress environment, but a highly intense tennis. Uh, I really enjoyed watching Lane Sleet last year, for example. I hadn't really watched her play and and seeing her scramble all over the court and think, wow, what an what an athlete she is. And it's I think our best showcase in this city of the pro circuit of players who aren't you know at the top, aren't inside the top 100, but are professional tennis players. And uh, that's that's probably what I like the most. Well, we're looking to record some uh, interviews with some of these Canadian and non-Canadian players this week. Uh, looking forward to uh, being there. Ryan Borg's on from Tennis Canada is the, uh, the tournament. Uh, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? The um... director? Thank you, the tournament director. <laughs> Long weekend for me. Tournament yeah. director, he does a fantastic job. He's got so much energy, treats the players so well. 
Um, I, I wonder if he's sort of being prepped for a potential one day NBO tournament director. Who knows when Carl Hale decides to, uh, you know, move along um, at some point. Um, and, and I'm just excited, like, again, who are the players that we've never seen before that will now be on our radar? Because, whoa, you know, look at that serve or look at that forehand or that, comp- you know, competitive spirit, whatever it is. Um, so I'm excited to, I always like going to a tournament and sort of latching on to a player I've never seen before and, and being impressed by, by what they bring to the table. Yeah, that that's well said. If we continue on with some women's tennis and we'll talk about uh, Layla Fernandez, who continues to rise back up in the rankings. Uh, she won the title, of course, the previous week in Hong Kong and uh, has another very strong week, you know, ma- making semifinals here at the Jiangxi Open before losing to Czech player Katarina Siniakova, who avenged her loss in the finals in Hong Kong and Siniakova actually winning this title. But Leila Fernandez, eight match winning streak, I would say certainly, I mean, without it at the best stretch of tennis we've seen from her in 2023, no doubt about that. And, you know, suddenly as we're reaching towards the tail end of the season, She's back inside the top 35, 34th in the rankings, which is such a far cry from when we saw her, you know, nearing kind of that 80th spot and getting such difficult draws that you have to start thinking about the opportunity. She could be one of the 32 seeds, hopefully, at the Australian Open when we turn the calendar year. Exactly what I was thinking. And, you know, my goodness, if that comes to be, who would have seen that coming the way things had been going? Uh, I mean, as you mentioned, being in the top 35 seemed like such a distant reach up until very recently. And look what a couple of tournaments can do if you, you know, catch fire and get that confidence going. And and for Leilani Fernandez, it's funny to me, like she seems to play well in certain parts of the world, typically like Mexico. Mm -hmm. She owns Mexico. My goodness, I'd enter every Mexican tournament if I was (laughs) Leilani Fernandez. Now it seems like she's really comfortable in the Asian swing and playing well in these events, too. So. Um, it's fantastic for her. I, I think she belongs in the top 35. Uh, but at the same point, just like, you know, Felix has got, you got to go out there and get it done, right? Like, you can't just say, oh, well, this player is a top 15 player like Felix Ogielliassim. You got to go play like one. You got to get the wins. You got to prove that you belong there and you got to stay there. And this is the thing. Some players can have a year or two where they maybe, you know, catch a good streak. But to do it consistently is certainly a challenge. And especially when you're 20, 21 years old, like Leila Annie is, um, you know, that consistency is still still something she's striving for. But hopefully this gets her back there, can get seated for a slam, have a more favorable draw, not get Caroline Garcia in the first round or two mm-hmm. and uh, and really build on it. Yeah, yeah, that's that's well said. And uh, Cindy Akova, you know, winning this title of her fellow Czech player, Marie Marie Boskova, I just want to mention this final. Those two played for three and a half hours. Siniakova wow. coming back to win one six seven six seven six, and I saw some of these highlights. I mean, there were, uh, there was one rally in particularly uh, in particular that was making the waves on on Twitter. Forty seven shot rally between these two competitors at one point. Like what an absolute marathon match. Siniakova had her right leg taped up right around her thigh, and for her to just will herself to a victory here, I mean, kudos to her. Layla, I thought she had a very good week and then just kind of lost her way with her serve in that semifinal match. And Siniakova, we know she's a particularly great doubles player, but a strong singles player as well, uh, taking advantage. Those two are having kind of an interesting back and forth rivalry, actually. Yeah, and I was kind of pleasantly surprised to see Siniakova having this success in singles, because as you mentioned, she's such an elite doubles player. Had a lot of promise in singles, I feel like, up until a couple of years ago, and then kind of disappeared in some ways, maybe focusing more on the doubles. But yeah, very, very nice to see. And um, 
hey, before my voice completely disappears, why don't we talk some ATP tennis as well? And I know you want to cue in on uh, on Ben Shelton and a big week for him. Yeah, I mean, he's the story of the week, without a doubt. Uh, look, his Grand Slam results for the season have been unbelievable. I mean, you you start with the front end of the year, reaching the quarterfinals of Australia was incredible. And then the semifinals of the U.S. Open, you know, the detractors said there wasn't much in between, which was true. He, he did kind of... He, struggled through the clay season which we, he of course was adapting to he didn't really do much on the grass as well uh but for him to back up that level that he showed at the u.s open and have such a strong fall swing i, I mean not only is he's winning his first title here in tokyo it's an atp 500 beating tommy paul yet again the the signature match here was the semifinals because he was trailing fellow american marcos Giron seven six five two double breakdown and rally back to win that match and uh, gets a rematch with actually Karatsev, who he beat at the U.S. Open in four sets there, beats him 7-5-6-1. And, you know, there was one stretch of this match. I think it was 3-1 second set where Karatsev, you know, desperately needs to hold serve to kind of stay in it and be present. And Shelton hit three consecutive forehand winners down the line, just blistering forehand winners to take hold of the match. And uh, just what uh, what a stretch of tennis he's he's had. He reached the quarterfinals of Shanghai just the week before, got that win over Yannick Sinner. He's now inside the top 15. So I, I brought this up, I, I think, another time that it, it was not a fluke that he was making quarterfinals and semifinals of U.S. Open. We're seeing this incredible rise in trajectory for someone who's still just 21 years old. I mean, top 15, I got to say, that kind of surprises me that he's there so quickly. And especially given the fact that, yeah, he had that long stretch of not being able to string together some wins. So what, what an exciting young player both on and off the court. I mean, I think these are the kind of players that the ATP really needs to attach themselves to. Yeah. Um, certainly in terms of raising the profile of tennis in North America and in the United States, this is the kind of player that maybe can have that impact. Um, just turned 21 a couple of weeks ago. So, so much, you know, ahead of him in his career and, and a great personality and someone that, you know, our good friend Blair Henley, who we've had on many times has been a big, very outspoken about how much she, you know, en enjoys Ben and what he brings to the game. And so I trust her judgment without hesitation. And he just seems like such a fun guy, always smiling, a lot of positivity. I mean, the big serve is obviously pretty incredible to watch up close in person like we did in Toronto this summer. So, um, yeah, top 15, my goodness, that um, that's fantastic. Yeah, that's amazing. I, I mean, I had that. I don't know about you, but I, I really had that takeaway from watching it live. Uh, against Kara uh, against pardon me Alcaraz um, firsthand in Toronto. Even though he lost that match, I was like, yeah, "This this kid is special." We saw him, you know, hitting 140 plus mile an hour serves. He raised that up to I think 149, 150 at the U.S. Open. His power off the ground was just unbelievable. And you there kind wasn't of... much between him and Alcaraz in that match either. No. Alcaraz, I think, only yep. converted one break. One yep. set went to a tie break. It was very close, even though it was straight sets. Exactly. It was a very, very tight, tight two set match. And and you felt like Shelton with his his talent off the ground, uh, that he's just going to get stronger and stronger. And, and we're seeing that now. Very cool that he's part of a father son du duo now that have uh, won ATP titles, I think just the fourth ever to do so, which is, I mean, another cool statistic. And uh, one thing he did say about his great tennis now is because he was struggling through the mid block of the season, he says he's pretty fresh and feeling good, which is uh, obviously advantageous through the uh, late, late stretch of the season. 
We're going to end with a little discussion on our Canadian uh, Felix Auger Aliassime with uh, consecutive wins for, I can't believe this as I'm reading a note that you put in here for the first time since Indian Wells. My goodness. First yeah. time to get back to back wins that, I mean, that says a lot with where he's at at the moment. Um, wasn't able to really take it from there. Got to see it as some positive, but, but, but a small dose of positivity really, don't you think still? Yeah, I, I think so. I, I mean, two wins in a row. Okay, that's great. I, I mean, that should be very much expected for someone who was ranked as high as world number six last season. And I, perhaps we have to adjust expectations based on the season that he's had. I, I think I was a little disappointed how he bowed out in that quarterfinal match. Giron beating him four and one. It was one-sided. And I know that day it was a very, it was very windy conditions. So Felix, I, I think was struggling with that, but I, I feel like we haven't seen him raise the bar when he is facing someone who's clearly playing well. Giron actually was playing very well in that match and Felix had to find another gear and he just never did. And I I don't want to say that's been completely the story of the season. I'll, uh, obviously confidence and dips in form, dealing with injuries through the clay season into the grass court season. There've just been a lot of things on top of another this year for Felix that I think has held him back. If he can look last half full two matches in a row he does save a little bit in terms of ranking points because he was defending 250 i think from antwerp the previous year so he gets a few back by winning a couple matches in tokyo my concern now is you head into basel where he won the swiss indoors last year and that's going to be 500 points and he might be feeling a lot of pressure to defend that yeah absolutely and uh, i mean let's wait and see what happens i feel like 2023 is um, keeping expectations low for Felix, but expecting a bounce back in 24. You got to think he's going to go hard in training in the off season in December, November, December. And, you know, so many people have said, I've heard it. He's going to bounce back. He's too good to not. There's too much talent there. And he works too hard to not have it happen too. I mean, Mike Cation said that when we had him on the pod a couple of months ago or a month ago, Mm-hmm. I overheard Vashik Pospisil at the NBO talking with, I believe it was Sasha Zverev on court. Both of them were talking about Felix. Hey, what's going on with Felix? But they both sort of said, he's too good for this to last, you know, forever, that, that there's definitely going to be a bounce back at some point. And, you know, we've discussed it before. I think it's between the ears. And, um, you know, so maybe adding someone to his team to work on that mental aspect of the game, you know, positivity coach, um, talking it through a little bit more. Um, I, I have no doubt that he's going to find, uh, you know, a combination that's going to click for him at some point. Yeah. And look, he's he's not the only top player who's who's been struggling. Right. I, I know his rankings taken more of a hit without a doubt. But uh, I mean, look at the struggles here of uh, Stefano Tsitsipas really since reaching the Australian Open finals, which is obviously a big result. But uh, he's taken a hit. He's he's really been struggling. Holger Runa has been really struggling. He'll be the top seed in Basel. And, you know, he's just changed coaches and hired Boris Becker to his team, which is a fascinating hire, really, after moving on from Patrick Moradoglu. Uh, talking about a big name, somewhat <laughs> controversial hire, but a Becker knows his tennis. So I, I'm fascinated to see how that works out. Uh you know, Felix is a number is is one of a number of guys who's just really hasn't been in form. You look Casper Ruud, he's dropped to eighth in the rankings. Uh Taylor Fritz hasn't really been able to string good tennis together for a little while. So he's he's really not the only one who is is you know playing his best right now. It's just it just hasn't been there for a lot of these guys. Yeah, that's fair to say. And uh 
Yeah, maybe we should talk a little bit more about the Boris Becker hire uh, next week. I don't know if I have it in me right now, but you know what a big Boom Boom fan uh, I was growing up. Um, and and Maradigly, by the way, apparently is charging $7,500 um, <laughs> for an hour and a half coaching session. I forget whose Instagram I saw this on recently, yeah. but uh, maybe if we put our money together, we can go splits on the uh, the hour and a half and take what's, 45 what's minutes this, each. Yeah, what's, what's, the sem- what's the semi-private rate? Um, right, yeah, we'll I'll have take to know. Uh, I'll take forehand side. Okay. How's that? <laughs> okay. That's, that's a deal. Um, I'm, I'm surprised that knowledge is even public at all that he would have that posted somewhere. That's hilarious. Uh, anyway, we will be following all the action from the Tevlin challenger this week, along with uh, Basil where Felix is seated. Number six, Vienna also happening. Uh, plenty of tennis as we continue through the fall season, guys, you've been listening to match point Canada. We will talk to you next time. <laughs>